Hello, and welcome to the Loft Gathering Podcast. We are excited to welcome you to our authority series. We will be talking about the contents of our mind, mouth, attitude, and life actions, and how these are the staples to further understand our authority in God's kingdom. Get ready to have your thinking challenged and your faith turned up. Here's Lisa. God, would you come and watch over this word to perform it? Thank you that we have a, a really cool connection in our community here, and we want to study the word together, God. Thank you for grace that always draws us back in, and thank you for your ever-increasing enlightenment that just falls on us when we look to you for answers, and we do, God. We love you. Open this word in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes when I preach this series, it, it feels like everything in life gets a little bit wacky, a little bit out of whack. Can you clean these for me? Just use that tissue because I literally can't read without them. Um, But here's the thing. It's okay if things start to feel a little little kooky, a little out of whack. It just means you're in the right place, you're in the right groove. And I I know that's probably not the best way to open a, a positive, empowering message on spiritual authority, but it's the best way to do it. Because otherwise, stuff starts to happen and you'll be like, forget this. This is hard, you know. Forget it. I'm gonna go back to my old carnal life, it was easier, and it suited me better. And I don't want us to do that. I want us to step over that threshold of our past into into our future, endowed with the authority of Jesus Christ himself. Thank you, Amanda. Not only are you my baby nanny, you're you're my do do everything I need, girl. I love it. So, the purpose of these next few weeks of teaching, and what we've already been doing the past few weeks, is to connect us with our authority. If I just said it in first person, I want to connect you to your authority. Because I already understand being connected to my authority, which is his authority. But the purpose of the next few weeks is to connect you with the authority that is yours as a believer. And I also hope that it ignites some prayer in this place. For me, I mean, even before I came here this morning, before I got all fixed up to come and stand up here in front of you, I just laid on my rug in my house and cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, and my church, and my city, and our country, and our our president, and our world. And I read a scripture, it was, you know, the Lord is asking us for that. And then the daily scripture on version was, the Lord wants this, he wants us to cry out, and be repentant, and be forgiving, and set a place before him of humility that says, I need you, God. And he wants to hear our voices calling on his name. He likes it. There's something about hailing the king who is rightly your king, Jesus. It's a powerful thing. So that's what I want to do. There's a spiritual authority and doubt upon us. I wrote it down. I couldn't probably say it better than I wrote it, so I'm just going to say it like this. I'm going to read it to you. There's a spiritual authority and doubt upon us if we're followers. Kingdom authority, spiritual authority. It's the divinely authorized right delegated to believers to act on God's behalf spiritually ruling over creation according to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Everywhere we go, every single spot that our foot would touch, we rule. Not in arrogance, not because we're special, in humility because we're his. We're bought with a price and he's special and he lives in us. So awesome, phenomenal cosmic power living in the vessel of clay everywhere that you go, okay? Authority in the dictionary says this, the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience, 
still applicable to kingdom authority. A person or organization having power or control in a particular typically political or administrative sphere. The power to right, the power and right to exact punishment. Okay, who are some people that you think of that have authority? Moms have a lot of authority. They rule their kingdom at home. They are in charge. Moms and dads, dads are even in charge of, of moms and the house and everything that goes on in there. It's a powerful thing. Well, sometimes. Um, teachers have authority. Teachers have authority. Bosses, government officials, police. Think about what you, what you think of when you think of authority. And then imagine if you had all the authority, what would you do? How would you govern and how would you live? And, and how would it be different if you were in charge? Because I want to tell us we are. Not in a rebellious, making some kind of revolution where we all are disobedient, wild, you know, rebel makers. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the confidence of God resting on the inside that everywhere that you go, you know that you're bringing him into a room. And everywhere that you are, you understand that you have authority above circumstances and situations. I want us to read in Ephesians here. And if you'll stand with me while we read the word. I've been reading Ephesians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. I'm just going to give you a little bit, but for depth of context, you should go read it yourself. Ephesians 1, 3, you lean in, I'll read. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Can you just say that part aloud with me? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And if you skip down to verse 18, Here's the prayer, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named and not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he put all things under his feet God put all things under Jesus feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all you can sit down thank you for your attention and cooperation if you want a three-point message I'll just give you three or four out of what we just read and then I'll preach okay and I've got about three hours worth of teaching that I'm going to give to you over the next, you know, 90 minutes or so. So that was a little, little joke to relax. It won't be that long. Three points. Number one, God gives you a spirit of wisdom, as we just read in that scripture, that our eyes of understanding might be open to see the way things really are. And I think sometimes the reason we can't even tap in to this kind of stuff that God is trying to get us to be aware of is by our own jaded, our own shaded thought life and mindsets that we carry around. And God wants to break through that mindset that's broken and speak something that's eternal and something life-giving to us. Point one, God gives you wisdom and he wants your eyes to be enlightened to see what's really going on. Number two, God wants you to see his exceptional power. What kind of power did it describe? The kind that raised Jesus from the dead. It's resurrection power. He has the power to reverse things. Yeah. You didn't go too far. It's not too far gone. You know how I know? Because you're still alive and you still have breath. And God has the power to take things that are defeated and turn them into a victory. He has the power to take broken things and make them whole. 
something broken into something beautiful. God knows how to take a loss and give you a gain. He knows how to take sick things and make them well. He's really good at it. And he wants us to understand his ability to resurrect, to reverse. He has that kind of power, and it lives in us. You know, you just have to tap in. I was thinking about, you know, my grandkids. I get all these illustrations now. I don't know if you have little children in your life, but, man, if you ever see a juice box again, I hope that you think of tapping in. Because a juice box is pretty much like you have to go to school as a phlebotomist to be able to figure out how to get the straw into the juice box hole. So a phlebotomist draws blood. So you have to get the little box and get the straw in it. It's very difficult. It's very, 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 very difficult. And once you do get it in, it's like there's this amazing overflow from the straw that gets all over you and said child. It's funny, and it's a great illustration, and I hope you think of it throughout the days and weeks and wherever you see one of these little boxes. And I hope that God gives somebody the mind to create something that works better. But for the sake of our illustration, if you don't tap into the juice box, you're never getting the juice. And secondly, sometimes it overflows when you're figuring it out. And that's okay, too, because we're talking about the power of God, the resurrection power of God, tapping into it. And sometimes it's difficult. And then once you do, there's like this huge overflow, and you don't even know how to work through that kind of a mess. But God's going to show us how. Somebody says, I don't want to get messy. Well, that's up to you. But you can. And it's kind of fun. John 8, 32 says, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Two things about the truth, it hurts, and it makes you free. And we like both of those things. We're not afraid of that. We're not afraid to grow. You know, we, we don't shelter ourselves from what God is trying to say. We want to grow in what he's saying. Did I get the third point ever? I don't think I did. God wants us to grow. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. He wants us to see his power, and not only see it, he wants us to experience it. Okay. Hebrews 10, 12 says this, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you get that? When do you sit down? when you're finished, right? You don't sit down in the middle of your work. You don't sit down on the way to something. You sit down when you're finished. And starting to speak about spiritual authority, I want us to understand that if Jesus Christ sat down at the right hand of God, which the right hand is the hand of authority. I don't know if you know that, but Jesus sat down to rule. He's ruling from the kingdom. He's still ruling. And then if you, if you know this, he's high above all authority that's ever been set. He's high above it. He is seated on high. And that means nothing can rule over him. He can't be overruled. He can't be vetoed. He can't be reversed. He can reverse and he can veto and he can rule over another ruling. But he's the high, sitting in the highest seat and you are seated with him next to him. Two places, one time. You're seated with Christ. That's powerful. I hope you can understand that what, you, what we're getting to because what, what I'm trying to explain to us today is Jesus Christ is the perfect model and, and Savior that has already defeated Satan. And I think a lot of times we try to fight Satan. Like we're, we think we're fighting Satan. We're battling the devil. We got our sword and we're, you know, and those are great metaphors and they're great illustrations and you do have to combat demonic presence. I'm not saying you don't. Of course you do. Mostly you have to combat the wiles of the devil, his trickery, because Jesus has already defeated him. How do I know that? Hebrews 2.14, it says, Inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself shared the same, 
became flesh and blood, and that through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death before that, which is the devil. Jesus destroyed the devil. We expend great amounts of energy trying to fight a foe that is already defeated. In order to be in a battle, there has to be two live opponents, okay? When one opponent is already destroyed, demolished, annihilated, there's no more battle, okay? And I think we live like in the crazy land where we're just trying to fight everything that we see and cast down strongholds and vain imaginations, and we're speaking about the devil far too much, you know? Even that first song we sang, I love that song. Oh, no, you've done it now. Gone against the king, gone against the crown. I love that song. It's a proclamation song. It's not a worship song. Who is that addressing? Satan. Do we address Satan in church? Sometimes he gets in, and we're like, get on out of here. Get on up and leave. We're not treading on the sons and daughters of God today. And sometimes you do have to draw a battle line. I understand all those things. But we don't have to combat and defeat the devil he has already been defeated. Jesus already did that. This is way deeper than we ever thought. We have way more authority than we ever imagined. Remember the, the soldier that comes to Jesus and he says, you know, my, I, want you to, I need my servant to be healed. And Jesus says, well, come on, I'll go with you. You don't have to come, just say the word. And Jesus marveled at his faith. And Jesus said, well, go. Your servant is made well. Jesus didn't have to go in person and do that. He comes in person for our sakes. His authority already spoke the word, and it went to happen. Whatever he said would, would be accomplished. And we can do the same things, seated with Christ in heavenly places and here. If you think about, if you think about technology for a second, I can be on a Zoom call, and I am a lot ever since, you know, the virus. I've had a lot of meetings on on my laptop. So I can be in California, in Denver, I can be in Arkansas, and in St. Louis at the same time. And that's some kind of human technology. What kind of technology, what kind of supernatural thing can God do that he can seat you in heavenly places to rule next to him while you're living this life at the same time? You have to turn on your, your mind of faith or you're just going to be living carnal like we talked last week. You have to ignite that sixth sense of your faith to understand what God's trying to speak to us. This is my favorite one here about Jesus' defeat of the enemy. Colossians 2.15, it says this, having spoiled principalities and powers. Listen, I am cherry-picking these scriptures, but you believe me, I read every single one of these chapters, and you should too. You should go and see if what we're teaching here is true and right, and if it rings true with the, with the word of God. And if you have any questions, or if you have any kind of other thought, I would love to have that conversation with you. It would be great. Having spoiled principalities and powers, Jesus is talking about. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. This is such a great little thing I'm getting ready to teach you. You're going to love it. How do you know? I read it this week. I learned it myself. <laughs> okay. Triumphantly. Where is that at? Hold on, I lost my place real quick. Having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them, openly triumphing over them in it. So openly triumphing over, it's an archaic word. It means he spoiled it. It means um, stripped him of everything he had, the keys of, and ha the keys of hell and death too. And here's the thing. Let me find, I gotta find that, that story. It's so good. <coughs> triumphing over from Colossians 2.15, here it is. 
So when the Romans would defeat an enemy, they would take that person and they would strip them completely naked. And not like in a Game of Thrones way, completely different if you, if you sat through that. I'm talking about stripping someone naked, cutting off their thumbs and their big toes and making a mockery of them, dragging them behind the conquering king. That's the comparison of, of what Jesus is saying and triumphing over the enemy here. He's saying, I'm dragging the devil behind me, naked, no thumbs, and no, no hands. Why? Why would they take those appendages? Well, it takes a thumb to hold a sword, and it takes a big toe to run, and they would remove those so there would be no threat from that enemy king ever again. And if there ever was a threat made by that king, it would be a joke because he has no thumbs and he has no toes. He can't, he's not a threat anymore, right? This is what Jesus did to the devil when he died on a Friday, rose on a Sunday, 40 days later ascended into heaven. In between time, he went into a place, Hades, hell and death, and he took back every power that the devil ever had and made a public show of him like a parade. The thing about us is we miss the parade, and we think we're still dealing with the enemy one-on-one because God has already given us everything we need for, for kingdom living right here and now. He's given us authority. He's given us his name. We do have weapons of warfare, and we're going to talk about them. We are going to talk about them in the next few weeks. The name, the word, the blood. We're going to talk about all of those things and how to wield them. It's not a contradictory message. It's a deeper one than understanding Jesus is the one that defeated the foe in the beginning. We're, we're up against a defeated enemy. I, ho- I can't emphasize it enough. And I think we give the devil like too much authority by, by talking about him in this light. I think we're giving him too much space and too much information. He's a trickster, yes. He's, he's a master deceiver, and that's what he has left. And so what we do is we give power to his lies, and then we start to come under his lies, giving him our authority. And we have to take it back, and we can take it back. There's scripture in Revelation that says, is this the one? When we get to see him finally, when there's that day when we stand before Jesus and that great, you know, this great moment of our eyes seeing everything that our hearts believe in faith now, and we look at him and we say, is he the one that deceived all the nations? That. Now, I'm not trying to minimize him. I, 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 he's annihilated. He's a dead foe. He has, he's like a mist. He's like a pretend mist. He's bringing fear. Fear also causes us to give him more power than necessary. We become afraid that we won't be enough. We become afraid that it's not real. (coughs) Mm. Triumphing over. Okay. When I was beginning my walk with God, I just had an incredible experience with demonic activity. We're going to talk about those things in the weeks ahead. I'm going to have Scott share some of it too. You guys, all I had was at Starbucks. I don't know why I'm choking. It's probably because of what we're talking about. kind of goes that way. It's okay, though. But you know what? I had a lot of attack on my life, personal things that happened where they couldn't be explained in the natural. And little by little, I had to learn authority and how to take that over the enemy in the name of Jesus and how to put my confidence in the fact that I do believe that Jesus annihilated the enemy. And I'm siding with Jesus, and I belong to him. And you do, too. 
that's where we're going to walk in these next few weeks. We'll be resisting the devil, but at the same time, we're afraid. That fear empowers him. You know, have you ever had that time, like, unexplained fears? You're, I've used this as an example before, but you're trying to walk upstairs, like, from your basement. you got to turn out the light, and you got to walk upstairs, and all of a sudden, you're like, i got to run because somebody's going to grab me or grab my feet or something. You know, am I the only one? Well, you know how to break this thing? <clears throat> Just stop. Stop on the steps and turn around. It's like facing a bully. It will diminish, even if it sits there for a second. You have to do this. You have to get yourself out of that little pathetic phase into this powerful one, and God will bring you to it. There's a whole world that talks about manifesting. Scott and I talked about this, too. When you're trying to manifest things, and it's a true law. The Bible talks about it. If you speak things, they'll come to pass. Thoughts become things. The manifestation of the world is to bring forth things to build you, to give you more, to, to make your life easier, to make you richer. We manifest that stuff, you know. We even put it on a shirt and wear it. Well, that's, that's not a new idea. That's a thought of God's to manifest these things, to manifest creativity and authority and to live above circumstances, not under them, to walk with the weightiness of authority on the inside of you all the time, not looking for the devil behind every door, but walking in authority that has kind of a mindset that says, I wish you would. You feel me? Get that. So here's a little tension. There's a little tension for us is that we carry mindsets, and I just started studying these, so I only have a couple to talk about today. But we're going to talk about them through these weeks ahead and make reference to them. When you have a mindset of certain things in your life, it's going to forbid you from catching on to the things that God has. The first one is a victim mentality. I can't tell you how many of us have had this conversation in the past few weeks. Inspired me to do some digging, and it's the first mindset you come up against in the Bible that is against what God plans for us. It's Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, you know, there's, there's only a few players, Adam, Eve, the devil, the serpent, God, and that apple. And so you know the story, Eve eats the apple, and God goes looking for them later, and what happens here? And Adam's like, well, it's that woman that you gave me. Um, she made that happen. And it's just like on the police shows, man, if, you, if, you, if somebody already blamed you, you really can't go and blame them. You know, they already blamed you, so they put, you know, put you in a separate room from the other person who's going to testify, and whoever comes clean first gets the deal. It's kind of how it goes. So Eve doesn't blame Adam, but she blames the serpent. It's his fault that you did it. And this is, what, this is what happens when we have a victim mentality. It's always someone else's fault what we're going through or how we're living. And, and it's not, it's very difficult to change a victim mindset, but it can be changed, and, it's, and it can happen. I used to have one myself especially if you've been victimized. If you've had something happen to your life where you were victimized, it's difficult to believe anything else than people are doing this to me. People are making this happen in my life. The pattern of somebody with a victim mentality, you blame everything, your your environment, your parents, your partners, events of the past. It's always someone else's fault. Some of the, your language will betray you. You did this to me. You are doing this to me. And how do you know if you're a victim? Ask yourself this. Do you believe that other people have more power over your life than you do? 
Because if you do, that's a, that's a tragedy. If you spend your life blaming someone else for your lack of success or happiness, then you're the victim. We tell ourselves this. If this happened to you, you'd, you'd be the same way. You'd do the same thing that I do. You'd live it out exactly the way that I'm doing it. And this, I'm not trying to minimize what happened. I know. I, believe me, I know. I've been a victim myself. There's no victim shaming in here. But what I do know is that you're always going to be a peripheral person in someone else's story if that's you. And that is not who God intended us to be. He intended us to live in creativity, to be the star of our own story, the center of our own existence, and for, for us to speak creative, authoritative things. Okay, moving on. Second mindset we have is a martyr mindset. This is completely different. This comes from the book of Kings. I'm just going by things that we talk about uh, on sidebar conversations through the week. The martyr mindset, it might, be, it might be different than you think. I got this one from Elijah. Elijah is a prophet. He does a lot of cool things. He's very bold. You know, I would imagine him being very gruff and probably on borderline, you know, with his vocabulary. But he did some crazy things. He challenges the king. He calls out some truth to a king. He challenges the devil worshipers of the day, the prophets of Baal. They belong to the queen Jezebel. He calls fire down from heaven. He has a magnificent day. And he gets tired. The queen says, I'm going to kill you for doing that. And then he gets afraid. He lives in a cave. I mean, this whole beautiful thing happens between him and God. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the part where he stands up. And he says, I, I even typed it out for us, 1 Kings 19. He's hearing this wind, and he's hearing the, seeing a fire, and he's trying to find God's voice in it. In verse 14 is really what I want to read. He says this to God. He's like, I have been very zealous for you, Lord. The Israelites, they rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword, and I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. He has a martyr mindset. If you have it, you think no one can do it as good as you can, and you're the only one making it happen. It's just you. Nobody can do it as good as you. Nobody can do it as fast. Nobody has your integrity. Nobody can possibly handle it the way that you are, and you are not a team player. I don't accept anyone's help, and I don't need anyone's help. I am the martyr. These are mindsets that are going to forbid us from grabbing a hold of the authority that God has given us. Why the martyr one? Well, no one's going to follow you. You don't let them. You don't let anyone get close enough to do it. It's all you. And that has to be exchanged to become all him. These are mindsets that if we can see them and recognize them in our lives and bring them down, we can exchange them for the authority and the creativity of Jesus Christ in our lives. One more for today, the innocent mindset. So I'm so good, I barely need a savior. Kind of making fun there, but the innocent mindset. I don't do anything wrong. I don't do anything. I'm innocent. And you're not going to like this, but I would compare that to Pilate. There's Pilate who washed his hands and called himself innocent when he could have freed Jesus. So here's the question. Are we good because we don't do bad things? Or are we good because we do good? I think the absence of doing bad things and the absence of doing good things is not innocent. It's guilty. But our mindset would tell us that we're innocent. That's not my problem. I don't want to stir that pot. I don't want to get involved with that. 
if Jesus has utterly destroyed the devil, and I believe that he has, then how do we carry on? And how do we overcome these kind of mindsets, these kind of traps? We're talking to a Christian audience largely today. How do we overcome and live in the day that we're born into? Jesus set you here at this time on purpose for such a time as this because he needed you. Your life, your influence, your existence, your personality, your sphere of influence right now. How do we move on? How do we get past these things? See, the devil only has deception, and his deception is that your eyes would stay closed and that your ears would not hear. Because once we pray those Ephesians prayers, God, open my eyes that I can see what's really going on. Make me like the servant of Elisha. More are for us than are against us. And help me to see what you're doing in the world today. God, let my eyes of understanding be open. Give me a spirit of wisdom. That's, your, that's step one. Ephesians 2 says this. God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. It is by grace you have been saved. That is a miraculous. That is, I've read that so many times, and every time I read it, I'm like, thank you, God. I remember who I was. And where, do you remember who you were? Do you remember that broke down mess? Take me back to the beginning when I was young and running through fields with you, God. Take me back to that first love and that place where I remembered you before I was tainted and scarred. Show me your glory. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in order that in the coming age he might display his surpassing riches of his grace demonstrated by kindness. God wants to display his power for you and through you. For you and through you. The reason we miss power and authority is because we still operate from carnality. This is a great, this is a great message. I'm just going to throw it out there that we are growing even if we're resistant. To, to what we're saying. But I believe that we're not resistant. I believe that we're eager to learn what God wants to say. So here's a, here's a scripture you're going to like. That Ephesians, back in Ephesians 1, far above rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is named, not only the present age, but the one to come, it says that he, God, put everything under his, Jesus' feet and made him head over everything for the church. Well, a little reading on this too. And I think that as Christians, we think, yeah, everything's under his feet, every demonic force, every sickness, every carnal thing, and, and they are. But what this scripture is trying to speak to us is that Jesus didn't come just to be the Savior. He came to be the Lord. And you have to get yourself under his feet, that he can veto you and he can overrule you. And he can speak directive to you, and he can exact judgment on you, on me. And until we get ourselves in that lowly place under his feet, letting him be the Lord of everything, our attitudes, our words, the way we speak to people, the way we speak about people, the way we speak about ourselves, the way that we live our lives, our work ethic, until we do that, we're not going to have a victory. We're not going to have an authoritative presence of God on the earth until we come under his feet. I wrote this, salvation can take you to heaven, but lordship will bring heaven to you. Romans 14, seven through nine, none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. And for this reason, Christ died 
and return to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Not when we die, right now. Right now, Jesus being the Lord, executing his power for all mankind to see through you. It's deeper than I've ever even imagined that this is. Mm. When you get to this place in your walk with God, you don't have to lean on anyone else's salvation or knowledge of the word, walk with God, worship, because you're so under what God is trying to speak to you, and you're so covered by his hand and by his arms. You relish in it. You live in a freedom in it. It's not easy. It's very, very hard. It's hard to be crucified. I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. Not I, but Christ who lives in me, who loved me and gave himself for me. Do we get that? Do we live in that kind of a mode? I think we can, and I think we're supposed to. And here's what I want to do today. I'm going to wrap this up like this. We always end a, a session, you know, when we're together like this, with words like commitment. You know, like Scott just got up here. And how many of you want to be in the small group and have a discussion about the genius of Jesus? And you make a commitment to do that. And first of the year, how many are going to go on a weight loss journey and get fit? And we commit ourselves to it. And how many want to get in this New Testament reading and Put your comments out there and, and hear what each other thinks about Scripture. And we can make a commitment to it. You know, we make a dedication. And you know what that is? That's great, but that still puts me in charge. I'm still controlling that. I'm in control of my own commitment and my dedication. And I just want to pick a different word as we move into this authority. Because once you step into it, it, it's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to, you know, to fall. You do fall. But it's, it's a lot easier, and you're falling in, into the arms of something amazing. You can fall off of a building and land on a mattress. You, it's just like whatever happens in your life, you're going to see the good once you're yielded to him, once you come under his authority. And so I want to choose a different word. I want to choose the word surrender. Not commitment, not your control, not dedication or decision, your choice, but surrender. Arms up. I give in. I'm yours, God. I belong to you. I'm going to stop fighting you on this. I want everything in my life to belong to you. I surrender. I commit. I surrender. You're in charge. Does that make sense? Will you guys stand up with me? <clears throat> Lord, we, we change our heart today from committing our lives to you, God, to surrendering them. Lord, we understand that to be in your authority, we have to be under it. Otherwise, we're just, you know, we're some kind of children that are living on their parents' wealth. It's bratty. It's, it's unfulfilling. It's horrible to behold, God, and we don't understand integrity or value. Father, we come under your authority this morning, and we ask you to be the Lord of our lives. And if you're standing there, you're listening to me pray this, pray it with me. The prayer of agreement is a powerful thing. Surrendering yourself anew. And you know what the things are that stand between you and God. Just because you did that yesterday doesn't mean you have to do that tomorrow. And it doesn't mean that God is trying to come in and take away all the things that are fun. He's not. God, he just makes everything that's fun more fun. 
on the other side. Everything you see, you see it brighter. Everything you hear is clearer. Everything you touch feels better when you're living under that sixth sense of faith. Lord, help us understand that your authority is powerful, that your kingdom has, has come on earth as it is in heaven, that you've already defeated the enemy, and that he indeed is under our feet as we are under yours. Speak life to your people this week, God. Give us opportunity to shine and to make your name just incredibly known in this city as a savior, as a king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to like and follow for the next installment of The Loft Podcast. If you want to be a partner with The Loft, you can give on Givelify.com. If you need more information, check us out on Facebook or at theloftgathering.com. And of course, join us 1030 Sunday mornings. Hope you have a great week. Till next time.